Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our I Believe God Sermon Series. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Acts 27 is where we're going to be this morning. Starting a brand new series, and the series is called I Believe God. And that's going to be a great series, I think, just to help us to, uh, to grow in our faith and to grow in our trust in the Lord. And I think every one of us would probably admit that there are times when we trust God and it's easy. And there are times when we don't trust God because it's a little more difficult. And we're just going to learn about how we can be consistent in our faith. And uh, today we're going to start Acts 27 with a life of Paul, great man of God. But before we get to it, I've got to ask you this morning, uh, i got to ask you to be honest. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question and I want you to think about the answer before you answer because you don't want to lie. We're in church. How many of you have ever fallen asleep somewhere... And you probably should not have fallen asleep there. All right, good, good. We got some honest people. How many of you aren't going to admit it? Okay, there's a few of you. <clears throat> you know, um, we've, all, we've all probably fallen asleep somewhere that we maybe shouldn't have or didn't mean to. Uh, but have you ever fallen asleep somewhere and, and you wake up and you look in a mirror or you look at your arms and you have those, those sleep lines. You ever had that happen? Man, I know like in high school or in college, you know, guys would fall asleep and you could tell they'd been sleeping because they'd walk up and their eyes are kind of bloodshot, you know, and then there's just these weird, unexplainable lines. Like, did you get, did you get run over by a, a car or something? You know, they just got these weird lines. But it's happened to me. I, uh, I can tell you there's been plenty of times and I'm, I'm one, I, I just can kind of go, 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 and then it'll, then it'll just kind of hit me. And uh, usually my, my energy level, like some of you, it depletes at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And I usually have to jump up at 2 o'clock and get another, you know, my third or fifth or eighth cup, cup of coffee and, and uh, get back to studying or whatever. But I, I can recall plenty of times I'll be here in my office and uh, come to the afternoon and usually during the winter time, especially, I'll just use a lot of the afternoons to study. And so I'll be spending some time in prayer and I'll get down and I'll be kneeling by my, by my chair and just praying. And man, I feel like I'm having a really good time with God. And then I wake up, like, oh, man, I did not mean to fall asleep, you know, and I'll get up and, and I'll, I'll look in the mirror because the staff's out here. I don't want them to know I fell asleep, you know, I was praying and, and I'll look in the mirror and sure enough, there's just this in, armrest indention right across my forehead and it's perfect for my head leaning against the armrest and I just kind of sunk in right there and fell asleep and there's just this armrest indention right there, you know, and, and I get up, man. Oh, I can't go. I can't go get coffee right now. I'm gonna see somebody, you know, and have that armrest indention. Or maybe you've fallen asleep on your clothes, or you've woken up and there's been those indentions. You know what those are? Those are those are impressions. And something, you know, like it could be for me, maybe that armrest that long after that armrest is away from my forehead, I still have the indention on my forehead. You know what we call that? We call that a lasting impression. Now, we know people, people make lasting impressions, but things make lasting impressions, don't they? 
Man, and those things can leave that lasting impression that as long as I'm, you know, for the next like 20 minutes or 30 minutes, there I am with my armchair mark across my forehead. You know, God, please help no one to come knock on the office door. And if they do, I'm like, hey, how you doing? You know, I mean, I'm embarrassed by that impression. Man, things can leave impressions. But, you know, when we hear the phrase lasting impressions, we probably think of people. And all of us, we have somebody. And you have somebody that's probably left, left a lasting impression in you. Some for the good and some for the not so good. Oh, I'd never, I'll never work with them again. <laughs> Man, I worked with them and they left a lasting impression with me. A bad impression. But others, and you see somebody, maybe it's a teacher. I've talked before about my first grade teacher, Mrs. Kirkner. You know what? Mrs. Kirkner made a big lasting impression in my life. You know why? Because when I was six years old, my brother died. And that was a hard experience. I I was the one who found him. And I remember going through that. But you know what? Mrs. Kirkner, she made a lasting impression because she came to the funeral. She got a sub for that day. She left. She quit the whole day. And you know what she did? She came to my mom and she said, you know what? Don't worry about Dennis. He can sit with me. And I remember sitting at at my brother's funeral and I sat by Mrs. Kirkner in the family section. And she held my hand. And as we walked through that, you know what? Every day at school, she knew I liked seahorses. And she, if she could tell, even just a six-year-old boy, she could tell I was having trouble and, you know, just kind of going through that loss and not understanding that. She'd say, hey, Dennis, why don't you just go look at the seahorses for a little bit, bud? And then she'd come over, she'd put her arm around me, and she'd say, Dennis, God has a great plan for you. Dennis, God knows what, God knows what happened with Dustin. You know what I look at that? Mrs. Kirkner made a lasting impression. I can think, of course, many of you know, Daniel and I grew up together. We had a fifth-grade teacher fifth grade teacher who made a lasting impression, I think, on probably every one of her students. Her name was Mrs. Cecil, Roberta Cecil. And man, God used her to make an impression. There's those people, they just make an impression. What I want to look at this morning, and again, we're starting this series of I Believe God. We're going to look at the faith of Paul today. But as we look at Paul, I want us to understand that Paul, his life, his life made a lasting impression on people. But it wasn't just characteristics of Paul, like he was sympathetic, or like Mrs. Kirkner, that he cared for somebody during a time of loss, or, or like Mrs. Cecil, that she invested in people. Paul, Paul didn't make a lasting impression because of that. Paul's lasting impression in people, what made it was his faith. Paul's faith or belief in God made an impression in people that caused many a people to look back and say, wow. Help me to have faith like that. As we start our series, I Believe God, and as we start today in Acts chapter number 27, where we're going to be, I want you to stand with me, and we're going to read some verses, but as we're reading the verses, as you're standing, I want you to think about one question. I'm going to ask it now, and I'm going to ask it at the end of the service. The question I want to ask you is this, does your faith, your trust in God, your belief in God... Does it leave a lasting impression on those around you? Would people be able to look at you and say, I know they're a Christian and their Christianity, their faith, what they think about God, how they trust God has impacted my life. I want you to go to Acts chapter number 27 and we're going to begin reading in verse number 14 of Acts 27. And it says this, but not long after... 
there arose against it, this ship, a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up uh, into the wind, we let her drive and running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strike sail, and so were driven. And we, being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship, and the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars and uh, when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, "Sirs." Ye should have hearkened unto me, and have not loosed from creed, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs... Be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me, howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. I want you to look, if you would, at verse number 25, and I want you to see just these, this verse, and I want you to read it out loud with me. Verse 25 is it. I want you to read that out loud with me. Ready? Begin. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Right there. Wherefore, sirs, hey, be, cheer up. Why? Because I believe God, and I take, him as, I take him at his word. Paul's faith had a lasting impression. He trusted God, and it, it affected the lives of people around him. And this morning, I want to ask you to make the decision that this week, you're going to live a faith that's going to affect the lives of people around you. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the lesson this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Why don't you just take a moment and ask the Lord to speak to your heart. Take a moment and ask the Lord this morning to help you to hear from Him. And then commit to the Lord that as He speaks to you today, that you're listening to him and that you're going to respond to him. Dear Lord, I want to come before you this morning and I want to thank you for the day and I want to thank you for just what you continue to do in our lives and in our presence. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to come to you today with an open heart, an open mind, and Lord, that we would listen to you and hear from you. And God, I pray that as we go through the service, that we would not be thinking of everything else, but that we would just come with an open, an open heart to allow you to speak to us. Pray that if there's someone here that does not know you as Savior, that you would help them today to trust you as Savior, turn their faith to you, and Lord, we pray that you'd help those of us that know you that you'd help us today to listen and to learn. We love you. Pray that you bless our time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated.
As we come to Acts chapter number 27, we find ourselves with uh, the life of, of the Apostle Paul. Now, just to kind of get us all caught up to speed on this, and of course, we've studied out Paul. We went through the series. We, uh, we were in the same passage uh, back in, I think it was 2017, October maybe of, of 2017. We were here, and understanding what took place in the life of Paul. Of course, Paul was a preacher of the Word of God. He was one who had turned to faith in Jesus. He was at a time, uh, at one time, he was a greatest persecutor of the church and early believers, but then he trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. Man put his faith in God and understood that Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection made the payment for our sin. And Paul went from being someone who believed he had to work for his salvation and earn God's love. He went from that to being somebody who understood that what Jesus did on the cross was absolutely enough for every single one of us to know Christ as our Savior. And, and so Paul, he was one that trusted Christ. And during that, after he trusted Christ, he would go around planting churches and seeing people saved and, and establishing the work of God all over the known world. Well, it came to a time in Paul's life, and you can go read the story, Acts 22 and 23, where Paul was falsely accused and he was arrested. He was arrested and he would stand trial before many dignitaries. And at one point, Paul pleaded as a Roman because he was a Roman by birth and citizenship, that Paul pleaded and said, I plead to take my cause to Nero, to the emperor. Well, when that takes place, you would get audience as a Roman citizen, you would get audience with the emperor. And so Paul, he would go under a bunch of other trials, but no one would ever uh, find, um, find guilt or, or come to a conclusion about him or make a verdict about him. Because he had pled to go to the emperor. So as you get into Acts 26, the Bible tells us that he's in a place called Caesarea Philippi. He's actually held there for uh, two years. And he would be actually in Acts uh, 26, the last part of Acts 26, he would actually stand trial in, in what's called the Praetorium. The Praetorium there in Caesarea Philippi was this. It was an amphitheater that would be there. And really, uh, this amphitheater is one of the places that Paul would have stood. The Praetorium would have been... Uh, where I'm taking this picture, it would have been kind of just behind me, but this would be the setting that people could come and there would be, maybe the trial would take place here or in the specific praetorium would be just a little, really a little square that you would just kind of stand and people could gather and you would be questioned and, and put on trial. And on this occasion, it was a larger group of people that were there because it was with King Agrippa. Acts 26. Paul stands trial before King Agrippa. King Agrippa calls into question everything that Paul believes. And Paul recounts to King Agrippa of the great salvation that he's had. And, and Paul tells him about receiving Christ in his life. And, and Paul would tell him, listen, when I trusted Christ, I got forgiveness for my sins. I was made a child and a friend of God. I was given a life with purpose and I'm given an eternal home. And, and Paul goes through and he gives this great message to King Agrippa. And you would think that somebody would say, oh man. Man, I want that too. Hearing all those things, I want that too. I want to I know my sins are forgiven. I want to know I have a home in heaven. I want to know that I'm not an enemy of God. I'm a child of God. You would think that that would be the response. But King Agrippa's response was, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Paul, you're that close. 
Then Paul would respond to King Agrippa and said, Oh, King, I wish that not only you would come to know Christ, but everybody. I wish everybody would come to know Jesus. Well, King Agrippa would turn and put Paul back in prison. He would stay in prison until we find Acts 27. In Acts 27, let's just go through it very quickly to get to verse 14. We find that Paul would start in that area of Caesarea Philippi, and he would be, if you look, you can see right behind the Praetorium is the Mediterranean Sea. Paul would be put on a ship right there, and he would sail from Caesarea up to Sidon. And you can kind of see on the, on the map, Caesarea down there, he'd sail to Sidon. This would be a, a vessel that would stay close to the land, and they would go and he was given over to a, a Roman centurion who was a centurion of Augustus's band. Uh, it's not a rock band or a band of some sort, but Augustus's band would have been people who were entrusted uh, with uh, high-ranking officials or with high-ranking prisoners. Augustus' band, it was kind of like the Navy SEALs. They're, they're entrusted with the, the high-end tasks. Well, Paul would put into, put into the trust of Julius, and the Bible tells us they would go to Sidon, and from Sidon they would set sail, and normally they would head south of the island of Cyprus and, and literally travel, uh, if you were to go, they would, they would go this route and go from Sidon this way, but the Bible says that they had to go under Cyprus. Now, we would say, well, wouldn't that be under no, it's not under as in above and under. It's under the, uh, the um, protection of. So the, the storms boil up and come up on that sea. And because of the storm, instead of taking a, a, a ship that wasn't used to open water, they would keep it close to land. And, and so they would go around Cyprus and they would go around this island. And what they would do in verse number six is they would come to that area of Myra. From Myra, they would uh, change ships and, and uh, go to a grain ship that can go on large open water. And there's 276 people that would go on this ship. And they would travel from Myra to Nidus. At Nidus, they, went, uh, they were under great difficulty and great sailing. And, and not great sailing. The wind was very resistant. And because of the wind, uh, they left Nidus and they sailed down to Crete and they had to go a little bit of a different direction there on the island of Crete. And they eventually they end up at a place called the Fair Havens. At the Fair Havens and also while they're there in, in Salmon and, and Nidus, uh, Paul would say to the ship manager, the captain of the ship, hey, we don't need to go on this trip. Uh, th things are not healthy. We don't need to travel on this trip. It, the storm is going to be very detrimental. And he goes to Julius, the leader of Caesar's, uh, Caesar of, of Augustus's band, Caesar's band. That might be a rock group. I don't know. Some of you might. Craig, is that a... I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't tell us. Uh, he, goes to, he goes to Julius, the leader of Augustus' band, says, the, the centurion, says, hey, uh, we, need to, we need to not go on this. But the captain of the ship said, no, 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 everything will be fine. Verse 13, things are looking okay. Look at verse number 13. It says, And when the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. So from, from verse 13, they're all like, no, we're going to go on this trip anyway. Even though you say we shouldn't, Paul, you're the prisoner, we're the guard, I'm the ship captain, we're going to go. And they get in the ship, and verse 13, the south winds blow and things are going smooth. And then we read verse 14. 
Verse number 14, where we started, it says this. It says in verse number 14, but not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurachlodon. I want to start this morning by taking our Bibles and noticing that we find Paul facing what I'm calling the adversity. Find Paul and those other 275 people on this ship, including the shipmaster, the captain, and including Julius. We find them here coming into some adverse times. Now, as we come to verse number 14, I want you to think, if you were Paul, you would probably be wondering if things could get worse. Here's why. You've been arrested, falsely accused, and arrested for that nonetheless, so you're innocent. You've already been in captivity or imprisoned for over two and a half years, and you're on your way to an end that you don't know before, see, before uh, the Roman emperor Nero, who hated Christianity. You're a prisoner on the ship. People won't listen to you. You knew you shouldn't have come on this trip. You knew the ship shouldn't have launched. And then verse 14 takes place. Now you're in a Eurachlodon. You say, what's Eurachlodon? It means a violent agitation. That's what Eurachlodon means. It was the sailor's term for the nor'easter or the northeastern storms that would come in. You see, what would happen is that northeastern wind would come down through Asia and come across the Mediterranean. It would be so severe that it literally would just drive and push ships to the southwest. They gave it the name Eurachlodon because it was one of the most fiercest and one of the most feared winds or storms to encounter. In modern day vernacular or language, we would say that they were caught up in a hurricane. And that's exactly what they were caught up in. This is a picture of a hurricane over the Mediterranean in the exact areas that we're reading about today. Now, of course, this isn't from back then. Someone, I can see someone being like, Pastor, how did you get that picture? Well, I had a dream. And I drew it. No. Storms that actually take place. And so here they are caught in this hurricane. And suffice to say, while they're in this hurricane, the Bible tells us in the passage that things hit a hopeless point. Oh, they try to, they try to do some things to help themselves in the hurricane. I mean, the crew, they did what they could to keep the ship afloat. There was a, a smaller boat that they would pull behind that they ended up pulling in so that it doesn't, it doesn't tug a war against them. And they would take the ropes, the chains, and they'd wrap them around the hull so that the, the boat would not come apart. And they would uh, take down some of the sails. On the second day, they start throwing over some of the wheat and some of the uh, furnishings, the furniture, and that storm just continues. And it says in verse number 19, on the third day we cast out of our ship the, our own hands, the tackling of the ship. Verse 20, and when neither sun nor stars and many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, once you look at that last phrase, all hope that we should be saved was taken away. Luke is writing, Luke who traveled with Paul, much of Paul's ministry, Luke was a doctor. If you go and you read the book of Luke and the book of Acts, Luke was a very knowledgeable, wise man. And yet, here's how Luke describes their situation. All hope that we should be saved was then taken away. 
We hadn't seen the sun, the moon, the stars for days. We were just wrapped up. To me, I read it, I find them wrapped up in the eye of the hurricane. That's where they are for days. After all these days, they're in this hopeless situation. Now, I want to say before we move on this morning that, and I, I don't mean to ever spend time on, on things that, that uh, uh, would cause us to rehearse bad memories or something like that, but every one of us have been in a hopeless situation before. Every one of us had fa- have faced adversity. And you want to know the truth about adversity? It's always around. <laughs> Right? My, my wife always says that storms are like Walmart. I've told you this before. Storms are like Walmart. Either A, you need to go to Walmart, B, you're at Walmart, or C, you recently came from Walmart. That's like a storm, especially if you live in Moses Lake, right? With the Wall Mall. We don't have a mall, we go to Walmart. Uh, a storm is like Walmart. You either are about to go into one, you're in one right now, or you've recently come through one. That's what storms are like in our life. They happen. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. And storms come, don't they? Trials come, adversity comes, and we all have been around people, and we have been there where we have a situation that truly seems hopeless. And I'm not going to give a a bunch of illustrations or examples of that this morning, but just to say that we've all been in situations where we look at the foreseen outcomes, and we figure that there is nothing good that could come of this situation. There's no hope. Well, that's where these people are. They're in this adverse situation, the adversity. But notice with me this morning that as these folks and as Paul and these others are in this adversity, I want you to notice what I'm calling the answer. What is Paul's answer to his current situation, his current circumstance? He's under arrest, falsely accused. He's imprisoned, and and he's going to stand trial before Nero. He's been there for two and a half years. They won't listen to him. And now he's on a ship setting sail for that trial, but they're caught in the eye of a hurricane. I mean, perhaps you would be, I know I would, probably a little frustrated. If I can say it this way, probably a little irked, a little little ticked off. I mean, you're just upset. Like, man, God, what did I do? God, why me? Let's be honest. How many of you have ever asked that question before? Okay. If you're not raising your hand, it's because you either, A, don't want to raise your hand, you've fallen asleep, or you're lying. (laughs) Now, listen, we've all been there, haven't we? Man, we've all been there where we're just kind of saying, God, why? David, Man, David, one who was God said, a man who sought after God's heart continually. David was one. The book of Psalms is a bunch of whys. Why, God, why? I imagine Paul was probably thinking a little bit of, God, what's going on? But I see that in this verse, we find Paul's answer to his storm. Paul's response to the storm that he was going through. I want you to know, first of all, that Paul, in this storm, he knew who he belonged to. He knew who he belonged to. You know what this tells us? He knew who was in control of the storm. Well, where do we see this? Look at verse 22. Now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of a man's life among you, but of the ship. Notice verse 23. For there stood by me this night the angel of God. And notice the last two phrases. 
There stood by me tonight the angel of God, whose I am and who I serve. Hey, listen, we don't need to, we don't need to lose hope in this situation. Why? Because I know who I belong to. And I'm trusting him. I know who I belong to. I know who I serve. And Paul comes and he says to them, hey, listen, we shouldn't have gone on this journey. He kind of had his I told you so moment. So those are righteous every now and then, just so you know. Just kidding. Some of you husbands are like, see? He had his I told you so moment, right, where he came to them, hey, we shouldn't have gone on this voyage, but listen, we came, but we're not going to die. No man's going to die. Instead, God's going to deliver us. Well, how do you know that, Paul? Because I belong to God. God's going to see me through this trial. So he says, I want to encourage you to cheer up. Well, how could we cheer up? Because I belong to God. Paul knew who was in complete control of his situation. And he knew that it was God who allowed the ship to go into the storm. Paul knew it. Paul, the answer, he knew who he belonged to, but he knew who he believed in. Paul knew who he believed in. He responded with faith. I want you to notice verse number 24 and 25. Paul saying, fear not. Uh, he's saying, the angel said this, fear not, Paul. Thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, this is Paul speaking again. Wherefore, hey guys, cheer up, because I trust God. And I believe it. It's going to come to happen just the way he told me. You know, Paul was doing, I mean, I, sometimes we read through this passage and we maybe, uh, you know, if, you, if you're a Bible student and you've read this passage, you kind of imagine all the men kind of coming together and, and there being a little bit of peace in the storm for Paul to yell all of this out. I don't, I don't see that taking place. They're still going all over the place. I mean, the boat is rocking, and I can see Paul. He's kind of hanging on to whatever he can, and he's just getting around the ship, and he's just going, hey, hey, listen, God stood by me last night. I belong to him. He said we're going to be okay. We can trust God. Whoa, comes over here. Hey, 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 listen. And he's just kind of in, on this topsy-turvy ship going around to all the people saying the same thing. Hey, we're in, a, we're in a trial. We're in a storm, but God's in control. We can trust God. We can trust his word. Listen, I look at Paul doing all of that. And I say, man, what faith? Man, what faith? Here he is in a storm. I mean, he shouldn't be the one that's cheering everybody up. He's a prisoner. He's about to stand trial before, before the emperor. And yet we find him maybe losing his voice saying, hey, I believe God. You know what God uses Paul to do? And I want you to see this. We'll talk about it in just a minute at the end of the message. But I think God uses Paul to prove God's credibility. <clears throat> this, this, it's kind of off topic of, of faith, but I, I'm going to say it. Sometimes you and I, when we're in a storm, one of the purposes of the storm is to help other people see God in you. And I guess that is on the topic of faith. Because you trusting God through a storm, God wants to use that to help other people look at you and say, how can you, how can you be like that through this? Because one of the purposes is to prove how good God is. And that's this, God is trying to prove his credibility. And I have that as a statement. One of the purposes in every storm is to point focus to the Lord. 
And so in this passage, it's, it's the same, that uh, God is trying to, to uh, point to himself through Paul and through this trial. Here's these people, they had lost hope, and, and that's exactly where God wants us. God wants us at a place where we lose hope, where we have no resource, where we can't turn to anyone or anything, because it's then that he announces his presence. You see, God, he's introducing himself to these people by helping them understand through Paul's words that God is in control and God can be trusted. Well, in this storm, it's no different. God using Paul to help these men understand who God is, that he can be trusted. In verse number 26, Paul continues. He tells them, hey, we're going to live, but we're going to be cast upon a certain island. Now, here's what's going to happen. One of two things is going to take place. After verse number 26, there's only going to be one of two outcomes. Either A, they're cast upon an island and they all live, or B, they're not. So two outcomes. So if it comes true, if they're cast upon an island, Paul's been saying, God told me this is going to happen. So if that comes true, you know the credibility happens? Everybody goes, wow, Paul's God was right. If it doesn't come true, Paul's lying. But I want you to realize the mathematical probability it is of losing a ship, losing all of the cargo, and yet all of the people landing on the island safely. Mathematically, in that situation, it would be in the millions of the probabilities, like one in a, you know, bunch of millions, that this would all happen. And yet, you see Paul still saying, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. You know what? Here you have Paul in this storm, and Paul's, he finds joy in the storm, doesn't he? Man, he's rejoicing in it. You can go and we'll see this in verse number uh, 36, that all the men were of good cheer. Paul goes around and says, hey, cheer up. He's rejoicing in the storm, and he found joy in the storm. How, how could Paul do that? Because he knew who he belonged to, and he knew who he, who he could believe in. Can I just say this morning that when you and I go through storms in our life, if you know Christ as your Savior, you can go through a storm knowing who you belong to. Mark 9, 41, Jesus says this, that if you've trusted him, ye belong to Christ. And so when you come to a storm, if, you, if you're saved, you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you could look at that storm and say, you know what, God knows I'm in this storm. I know who I belong to, and I know who, who's allowed this storm in my life. And then you know what else you can do in a storm? You can trust God's word. Just like Paul did. Paul said, I believe God. I don't believe what everybody else is saying. I believe God. Now, we may look at this situation or this story, and we might say something like this. Well, this is all good for Paul. I mean, here he is in a storm, and an angel stood alongside him. Pastor, I've been in some storms, and I've never had an angel stand beside me. I've never had an angel stand and, and say to me, don't worry, it's all going to be okay. Pastor, God hasn't come alongside me in my storm and said, and said any of that. And you know what? You're right. God has not sent an angel to physically come beside you and say it's all going to be okay. 
We don't have visions and personal dreams or visible interactions like we read about in the book of Acts. What we have is better. First, second Peter 1, 15 through 19, Peter describes it this way. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For ye received from God the Father honor and glory, or excuse me, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom ye are well pleased. And this voice, which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him on the holy mount. So Peter's saying he's uh, remembering the Mount of Transfiguration, and we're not going to get into it, but he's remembering a time when they were on top of a mountain and God the Father spoke and said, this is my son. Notice what Peter says next. He says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Hey, I, I've, I verbally heard God's voice, but we have a more sure word of prophecy whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place unto the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. You say, Pastor, what is he talking about that? What is, what is Peter saying? Here's what Peter was saying. He was saying, I audibly heard the voice of God, but what we have now, we don't have the visions and the, and the open prophecies and God speaking. No, we have the word of God. It is a more sure word. It is something that is steadfast and constantly with you. You don't have to wait for a voice. You can open up the book. You don't have to wait for a, a dream to come your way to tell you God's plan. You can just open up the word of God and find God's plan. And so no wonder Paul would say we have a more sure word. Word. And so I'm city, if you will, and you don't need an angel storm, some uh, adverse time or some adversity, if you will, and you don't need an angel of God to come alongside you and give you some promises. You already have them. You already have his promises. I'm thinking this morning about promises like Romans 8.28, that we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I think about Hebrews 13.5, the promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I think about 1 Peter 1.6 and 7, that wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations or trials, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Christ. I, I think about the promise of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that there hath no temptation or trial taken you, but such as is common to man. But listen, God is faithful, who will not suffer to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape. I think about first, or Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, he'll perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, what are all of those things? Those are all promises that any child of God can claim. No wonder, no wonder Paul could stand up and say, sirs, be of good cheer. I'm in a trial. I'm under arrest. I'm going to face trial. I'm going to face trial. I'm going to, to stand before Nero, but be of good cheer. I belong to God and I trust his word. Man, I wonder how does your faith impact people? Man, people look at us and see our faith sometimes, and our faith, is, our faith is, like, is like the boat in that storm. It's just up and down and up and down. And Man, our faith would make someone seasick. <laughs> Watching my, whoa, whoa, they trust, they don't. They trust, they don't. 
That's not Paul. No, Paul said, hey guys, pick it, listen. Be of good cheer. Why? I believe God. And I can tell you right now that you and I, we have the written word of God. And we can trust it. I'm going to finish up this morning, but I want to give you a very cool little study that I found a couple years ago. I think it's awesome. We know that God is the author of any storms that would come in this earth. I mean, he's allowed the earth to, to continue, and so God knows those storms. And we talked a minute ago about the mathematical ability, mathematical uh, equation and, and what it would be, the statistical equation of what it would be if they were to actually get lost in a storm and end up on an island and all of them be saved. Here's what happens. They get stuck in the storm, and they go way off course. You can see that little purple line, the squiggly above the storm. That's just kind of showing where they're going, and you know they're just kind of all over the place. But here's something pretty amazing. If you were to go to your passage, there's some words. Uh, Melita is the island of Malta. Melita is in verse number chapter 28 and verse number 1. They get thrown upon the island of Melita. But it's interesting how that happens. And here's what we're going to look at. The distance from Clauda, okay, Clauda is a little island just south of Crete. It's right at the bottom of that arrow. You can, you can just see a little dot right here. That's Clauda. From Clauda to Malta is 476.6 miles. Well, a number of years ago, Mediterranean navigators, they supply us the, indica- uh, the uh, information that shows us just how a ship would travel in a hurricane in the Mediterranean Sea. What they say is that a ship like this grain ship traveling in hurricane wind like Eurachlodon, it would drift or travel 36 miles every 24 hours fighting into the wind. Okay. Now some of you are like, Pastor, you lost me at 476.6 miles. That's okay. Mom, stay with me. If it traveled 36 miles every 24 hours, it would take them from Clauda to Malta, 13 days, one hour, and 21 minutes to travel that distance if they happened to go in a hurricane. Now, they didn't leave from Clauda. They left one day earlier from a place called Fairhaven's. So it took them almost 24 hours to get from Fairhavens to Clauda, and then it took them 13 days, one hour, and 21 minutes to get from Clauda to Malta. You say, well, pastor, that really doesn't, doesn't prove very much. I want you to go with me, and uh, I didn't write the verse down. I don't want to take the time to, to do all of it, but if you go and you read the story, in the story, you know what the Bible says, how many days it took them to get from Fair Havens to Malta, how long they were in the storm? 14 days. So I did this, and this was just kind of cool. I took that hurricane picture that we found, and I took the hurricane picture, and I tried to size everything so that it would fit right over the area that we're looking at. And this is what I came up with. 
that hurricane would have, they would have been in the eye of the storm and this hurricane would have moved perfectly just like that and taken them 14 days to get from there to there. Now you say, pastor, why say all of this? God was proving who he was. That's what God was doing. Because what is the probability of them landing on an island and all of them being saved? Man, it's one in five million, one in six million. It couldn't happen. And yet it happened. This was God once again saying, hey, I want to prove to you who I am. We find today the adversity, the answer. I want you to look lastly with me today at what I'm calling the aftermath. What's the result of all of this taking place? Verse 33 down through verse number 37. <clears throat> Here's what happens. While the day was coming on, uh, uh, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, this day is the 14th day. There you go. 14th day that ye have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Wherefore, I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health, for there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread, gave thanks and, uh, to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were, all, were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. And we were in all the, or we were in all in the ship, two hundred, three score, and sixteen souls. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore into the which they were minded, if it were possible, to thrust in the ship. Now they're on the, that fourteenth day, the, the daytime. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea and loosed the rubber bands and hoist up the mainsail to the wind and uh, made toward shore. And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground and the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. But the centurion, Julius... Willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could, sw could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land. Now notice verse 44. And the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to the land. You know what I look at and I see, and this is just an amazing thing to me, that even in the worst of storm, even the worst storms, even the worst storms cannot hide the face of God when there is someone ready and willing to trust Him and point to Him. In all of it, you know what I see? God. Man, 276 people in the ship, all of them saved. You know what their first thought probably was? Wow. First thought, I'm thankful to be alive. You know what probably, probably followed right after that? Hey, it's just like Paul said. Hey, it's just like that, that, that man of God said. What an incredible story. And yet in the midst of it, we find a great example of Paul responding in a storm with a faith that impacted others. What great character and faith this man had. And it was revealed in a storm. Can I tell you as we close out this morning that storms have a way of revealing the depth of our faith and the nature of our character. The storms of your life reveal what you really think about God. They reveal if you really are trusting God. They reveal the nature of your character. If you're someone who claims to be a man of God, if those actions actually show up in your life. You see, Paul didn't just stand that I love it and I wish we had time to do it. We don't this morning. 
Paul didn't just say, hey, everybody cheer up. I believe God. Oh, no, what's going to happen? <laughs> Paul didn't do that. He said, hey, everybody cheer up. I believe God. I know who I belong to. Let's eat some bread. Man, somebody go find, hey, hey, get that meat back out here. I know, I know we're in the storm. I know things are going really crazy, but someone just find that bread. Let, let's come on. Let's eat, fellas. And he gets them down. Maybe it's, in, you know, maybe it's like one of those old Peter Pan cartoons. You know, they're sitting at the table and the boat's rocking and they're just sliding with it. I don't know. But verse 36 says that he cheered up everybody. Listen, your faith in a trial, it impacts the people around you. Your trust in God in a circumstance that's out of your control, it affects and makes an impression on people around you. And I want to encourage you this morning as we come to this series, I Believe God, that the first message that I want to preach on in Acts 27 is just this truth that your faith and my faith, it should leave an impression on people. And so I want to ask you, does your faith leave a lasting impression on those around you? Would someone look at your faith through your trial? How about this? Would someone look at your faith even when you're not in a trial and say, I want their God? A trust in God, a belief that says God's word is real, I belong to him, and I trust him no matter what. Paul's faith impacted 275 people. There's countless more. So we, could, we could go to Paul's life all through the book of Acts and see it. But I'm coming right in at the end. The end of his life, and he's still using his faith God is still using it to impact people. So I want to ask you about your faith. Will you make the decision that this week you're going to trust God? This week, no matter what comes your way, I'm trusting God. I belong to him. I can trust him. I don't have to have an angel stand beside me. I have the written word of God, and I believe it. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.